previously on Age of Legends Downfall. Ella woke from her nightmare too disturbed to go back to sleep. She made her way to the common room where she met Corbin, a research assistant with an addiction to biscuits and gravy. After brief conversation, Elle used the Terangriel given to her by Mistress on Corbin, instantly changing his demeanor to that of an eternally loyal puppy. Red caught up with the pair later on and noticed something was wrong, but followed along as Corbin helped them gain entrance to the research center. Once inside, they came across some interesting artifacts, which they took for safekeeping. Elle used one of these artifacts and was able to discern for the first time that Red was capable of channeling a fact that seemed to turn Red grumpier than usual when it was exposed. The trio then made their way to the restricted third floor with Red and L entering Evolve Ramon's personal quarters. As they sifted through the infamous Aes Sedai's things, they heard an unseen figure approach Corbin outside, harshly demanding an explanation for his presence. The unseen figure then embraced the male half of the One Power, holding an incredible amount of the One Power and seeming to be preparing to use it on Corbin. Good tape, good tape, continue. Thank you. So, continuing from where we last left off, the two of you are in the room on the third floor of the uh, research center. You have heard Corbin be caught by who you can only assume is Aval Sedai, uh, who is wielding an immense amount of power out in the hallway. And you can kind of sense that this is being used for uh, corporal punishment as you can hear this ruckus continue down the hallway as if Corbin were being dragged off for what seems to be some sort of a violation because he was not supposed to be doing what he was doing. You have recovered this journal that has all of Aval's research notes in it, uh, and you are in this room alone, and it seems for the moment as if no one might be on the other side of that door. What do you do? Uh, I would like to try and peek out very sneakily just to make sure there's nobody else in the hallway. All right, let's go ahead and roll a stealth. Okay. Uh, 13. Or, I'll actually let you do sleight of hand, too, since you're doing it to the door, oh. uh, if that's higher for you. It's still 13. <laughs> Fine be that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with a 13, uh, you hear just a slight, like, but as you're, like, peeking it open, you realize that there's just no one in that hallway to hear it either. Uh, and they would have had to be pretty close. And uh, as you sort of, like, peek through just this sliver, uh, you don't see anyone standing in the hallway right now. Red, you're still in the room, yes? Mm-hmm. I'm right behind uh, you. I turn back and I and kind of whisper, I feel really bad about Corbin. What happened? I don't know, but it doesn't sound like it was good. Did you feel like it sounded like it was good? Uh, I mean, I don't really want to be here any longer. Well, we still have to get the relic. And as you say that, with your passive perception check, uh, you both kind of look over at where Corbin was last when you had gone into the room, and it appears he has managed to get the double doors that were locked open, uh, and you can see a plethora of tables through the uh, single crack that's running between the two doors, and a lot of items on them. Yeah, I'm gonna kind of like, you know, you know one of those things where like you kind of like see their like toe opening the door and then like the one leg comes out and then their body kind of slides out into the hallway. 
and then like she kind of inches along the wall. That is exactly what Elle is going to do. You're this a is mean a great one, Mr. Grinch. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say this is a great time to put in the Pink Panther theme song, but yeah. <laughs> the, the Grinch works fine too. Yeah. All right, so we have uh, Elle making her way towards these double doors that have been opened. Red, what are you doing? Uh, I'm doing the same thing as well. I'm just leaving the room, but I, I'm doing that backpedal walk, so I'm looking down the hallway that we're going away from, just letting Elle lead while I'm bringing up the rear. So you don't see anything. You kind of hear a little bit of commotion paying that much attention, but it sounds like it's descending the stairwell. It is probably still Aval with Corbin, um, which might provide you with a small sense of security as it seems like Corbin has essentially taken the fall for what you guys are doing. Um, so as you make your way towards the doors, uh, you get there. Would you like to go through the doors or would you like to look through the doors? Uh, I would first like to look through the doors. Okay. Uh, go ahead and roll a perception on this one. Yet again, I still have a plus zero. Oh, but it's a 17. Nice. The way you're looking through this door is as cautiously as possible, uh, not just sort of taking in the room, but taking in any sort of alarm that might be tripped by you entering. Uh, as you scan your vision across the room, it sort of becomes clear that the door was the biggest part of the security. It's uh, seemingly like a room where if you're inside it, it's assumed you're meant to be there. So as you sort of take in what's on the tables at this point, uh, you see a lot of higher technology than you've seen in other rooms, very similar to what you saw in Evolve's room. Uh, these, what we would call them as like LED screens that have a lot of information scrolling across and various languages. Uh, there's crystals on several of the tables that you've never really seen before. They're in resplendent colors of pink and blue and green and teal, uh, as well as some artifacts on the tables to the right and left side uh, that are pressed up against the wall. Some of them look like skeletons, but they look like creatures you've never seen before, almost Almost like they're some sort of grotesque perversion of what a man would look like if they were seven to eight feet tall, but spliced with some sort of creature. You wouldn't even know what to call these. Uh, as well as some other creatures that are just sort of familiar to you, things like Ogier or even tree folk remains seem to be placed on some of these tables. And the table that's dead in the center while having multiple objects on it uh, has what appears to be a small monocle. Uh, and this definitely makes an impression on you uh, after reading from Aval's journal and reading that what you were looking for is known as the lens of truth. I am going to go into the room. As you enter the room, uh, you notice that there is no one else in this room with you. The doors sort of like push open and then start to slowly close behind you. Um, it's not like anything where red, you're going to get caught out. You need to do an Indiana Jones and roll in. <laughs> you can keep them from closing. They're just meant to automatically close. Yeah, I'm just, I'm tripping the sensor. I think this is what we want, the lens of truth and I pick it up. All right. So holding the lens of truth, it's very similar to when you were on the first floor and you were holding the previous Terangreal. Um, you can tell just by channeling into it just the slightest that it definitely does have a purpose. You're not exactly sure how to wield it quite yet, but from the notes that you're able to gather from Aval, uh, it does seem like this object is in some way, shape or form able to sense disturbances or alterations of the pattern of the actual pattern that is woven to make creation exist, essentially. Uh, so you have in your hand what you came for. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm gonna just cross check it with what's on the journal. And if it's the exact same thing, then I'm gonna put it into like a pocket. Yeah, and that uh, little drawing that's in the corner where all the notes are, it matches it perfectly. And you don't see anything else in this room. There's no other containers. And with the amount of sort of research that's being placed around this object, and the fact that it matches the description, it looks like circle gets the square. You nailed it. Uh, you found what you're looking for. So when you're actually holding up the book, 
to compare these two things, you your thumb just sort of loses its place. Uh, and once you're convinced, like, yeah, this is it, uh, some of the pages just sort of flip past. And as they flip past and you sort of stop it and uh, briefly consider closing the book, uh, you notice a symbol that's been drawn on a page that doesn't seem to have a lot of notes on it. And the symbol is a crescent moon. And where the gap would be between the two points on the crescent moon, it's sort of filled in with stars that connect it. Under that uh, is a few words. Quote, daughter of the night. And then underneath it, and it's underlined multiple times, not a name, a title. She's going to file that away. She's not going to, like, no outward um, showing of that. And I don't think she's going to, like, tell Red about it at all. She's going to, like, kind of file that away. And she's going to actually pocket the journal and kind of go through it a little bit more later on when there's more time. As you do that, Elle, you get this feeling in your stomach, and you've never felt this before, that... Something's off. You feel like you should remember what you just saw. Almost like a deja vu, like you've come across it before and yet you're experiencing it for the first time and you don't know why. And because that feeling is so foreign to you, it's memorable and also something that you probably just don't want to share just because it makes you feel unsure of yourself in this moment. All right. Uh, From the doorway, Red says, hey, you ready to go? Let's get out of this place. Yeah, I agree. I really don't like it in here. We got what we came for. Now let's pretend like we never were here and get back. You sure that's the thing? We got the thing for it? It's the thing. Yes. All right. Um, so Corbin was our guy. He was our, our uh, compelled guy. Correct. Corbin Dallas, multipass. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, fuck you. Um, so Corbin's gone. Uh I'm assuming that we can make our way back the way that we came and still use the disguise that we had with all the other people. Yeah, I mean, we have badges, and so I guess we just go with it. All right. As soon as you get done saying, just go with it, you're like, we got this plan. Uh, The door to your immediate right that is not the lab you are in opens uh, and out walks what appears to be a single guard of the city of Majin uh, and someone who is in very ornate clothing. Uh, It's a lady who is relatively similar to the size of Elle, so like maybe 5'2", uh, and not very imposing. Um, but she has this look on her face as if she knows something is wrong. And when the guard notices this, he immediately unsheaths his sword. Can I yell out, hey, Corbin? Oh, you're not Corbin. And I'm going to bluff my ass <laughs> off right now. Sure, let's do it. Uh, deception. Good thing I have a plus 30 in it. <laughs> I did legit crit. Granted, it's plus zero and it's a skill check, but I did roll a 20 on it. <laughs> this is great because I rolled a 19 on mine. Oh! <laughs> so, okay, let's say that's for the uh, lady. Let's see what the guard rolls. He rolls an 18. Oh and here's the God. thing. Since it's so close, I'm going to stay within the fiction. And because you say Corbin, they're going to say, Corbin's not allowed on this level. And then the sword comes fully out. And... In this moment, before we roll initiative, I'm gonna introduce a mechanic that I've been thinking of a lot because Wheel of Time has a lot of stuff that translates really easily to D&D. One of the things that doesn't translate very well is what's about to happen. So, L, I would like you to roll a D20 and then I would like you to add your spell attack modifier to it. Okay. Uh, hold on. I have dice and I forgot that we were playing D&D. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> it's an indictment on how much I talk. 
Uh, well, that's a 19 plus 6. So that's a 25. We are on fire. Nice. So the reason I have requested this is because your spell attack to me uh, represents how proficient you are with magic. It is mm-hmm. your modifier plus your proficiency bonus within D&D. And I wanted you to use as much bonus as possible um, because what's happening right now is for the first time in your life, you notice that there is another channeler who just embraced the source directly in front of you, and they are trying to sever you from the power by putting a shield over you so that you would not be able to touch it. Because in Wheel of Time, it's really easy to cut someone off from magic, but in D&D, you basically have your spells no matter what. So let's see what she rolls. Her modifier is also plus six. This is like a magic grapple check, essentially. It really is. That's what I thought of it as, too. It was on the B for a second, and then it twisted to a two. So she rolls an eight. She sees you, and maybe it's because she's never seen you before. She doesn't know exactly how strong you're going to be, and you don't seem to have any sort of the, like, aging alterations that happen to people who use the power quite a bit, and you just look young. But she tries to slide this shield into place lackadaisically, and you basically, even though it's metaphorically speaking, shatter it as soon as you notice it. It's like she was trying to put this glass panel between you and her, and all of a sudden it became just particles. And uh, now we will roll initiative, and congratulations, you get to use all of your magic for this fight. Everyone seems kind of on equal footing. You had the quip, tried to lie your way out of it, they rationed their way through it, swords are drawn, shield is shattered. Uh, The first person, despite the fact that she tried to use the shield, uh, is actually what you now know to be uh, a female channeler directly in front of you. And throughout this battle, I will refer to her variously as the channeler and the ace to die because I'm probably going to get it mixed up in my brain. That is not me actually telling you this is someone you recognize from the Hall of Servants. That's just me being dumb, so please don't judge me for that. So she's staring directly at you, L. She raises her hand, L, and you notice the distinct threads of fire weaving on her hand and Although women are typically weak in fire and earth, comparatively speaking to men, she seems to be quite adept at it. And as that thought rolls through your head, uh, you realize you need to dodge out of the way as streaks of flame scorch towards you. Dexterity saving throw. It's a 17. I'm rolling well today. You are able to roll in the opposite direction. This moves past you. It clips you a little bit because you are able to successfully roll away, uh, and you are going to take 10 damage from this. Uh, It also hits the table behind you, splinters it, and uh, everything that was on that table essentially just goes flying into the room. Turn or not, I'm going to yell, Whoa! What the hell, guys? Can we calm down for a quick second? And I do have two swords out in my hands, but I'm waving them <laughs> like an air traffic controller. Can we just calm down here? As a Puerto Rican, I call that the Puerto Rican calm down. Where it's like, just because I'm holding these blades doesn't mean I am going to stab you. These blades are for your protection. So L, you have just managed to escape the direct blast of this, and it is now your turn. Uh, what do you do? All right. She is mad. Uh, she points at this channeler and places upon her Hexblade's curse um, right. as my bonus action. And then as in as my actual action, I'm going to cast Witch Bolt as a level three spell. Witch Bolt is that? <laughs> Get it? <laughs> That's why I'm here. Color commentary and jokes. 19 to hit, and if it hits, that's going to be 25 lightning damage. Fuck. You're not going to believe this, but the fact that she's wearing a dress means she's not well armored, and that absolutely hits. How much damage did you say again? 25. Okay. 
And uh, just hmm. as part of this, remember that like I basically can keep like doing it essentially. Like I just maintain concentration. Right. It's almost like uh, the threat of the power is in the air and you can just sort of force bolts of damaging energy through it as long as you're able to like maintain the conduit. So uh, we don't have something like this in a wheel of time, but if you had to describe her appearance, she's covered in blood now, otherwise known as bloodied. <laughs> so that was a huge fucking hit. Yeah. All right. Red, you are up. Uh, he's going to, I mean, he's going to see these two ladies shoot, um, you know, elements at each other. And he's going to look to the guard and he wasn't kidding about the uh, swords being up but he's going to kind of like cross him in front of his face and just be like, okay, man, hold on. Like we, we, if we can take a pause and uh, maybe not start fighting each other because I don't want to do that. And I don't think you want to do that either. He says, I've never wanted anything more in my life. That's fucked up. You don't even know me and you probably should not have this job. If you're just out with this bloodlust, that's clearly in your mouth. Uh, I will ready action. If he attacks me, I will first strike him. Gotcha. Uh, so you say this to the guard, uh, and you can see realistically, like as you say these things to him, he, he seems to be sort of studying what you're saying. He doesn't exactly trust what you're saying. But as he looks towards uh, this channeler, he looks back to you, and he is just like his resolve is hardened, and he charges at you. Okay. So as he approaches to try and hit you, your readied action will activate and let me know what is happening. Okay. I have two swords, gonna do two sword attacks. I'm just gonna roll two of them simultaneously. That is a 19, and that is a 14. So uh, as you bring your two swords down on him uh, in your slashing motion, you are able to catch him pretty well with one of them, and then the other one is deflected. This guard has a single long sword, uh, and it's clear that from your form, he had to choose which one of them he was going to let through. Uh, but one of them does hit him, so go ahead and roll damage. Okay, that is a total of six. Does that seem low, guys, or is that me? It seems low because you just saw a fucking fireball get launched across a hallway and then a witch bolt hit for uh, whatever amount of damage it was, that insane <laughs> amount because it was third level spell. So right. it's a little bit low, but if you would have hit him with both and max damaged him, it probably could have been around 20. So Yeah, yeah. So how this plays out in real time is uh, as you come down with both your blades, he is able to parry one, he is struck from the other, and as he is struck, uh, he tries to attack you. He sort of uh, pushes the action forward. And uh, he takes two swipes at you as well. Cool. His first attack is definitely off balance, and you can tell it's caused by the fact that you struck him. Uh, his second attack comes through, and it does hit. So this is going to make uh, a solid connection on the uh, left side of your chest across your ribs. Your armor absorbs most of the damage, but you can still feel the pain uh, just sort of shoot through your rib cage for Fuck. four damage. Oh. So it hits you. You feel like you just begun this dance uh, between you and this guy. You're not exactly sure who's better. Uh, it's like you both went one for two, although you feel like you inflicted probably a little bit more damage than you took. So mm -hmm. uh, that will be the end of the first round of combat. It comes back to the top of the order uh, and the channeler, the female channeler is on the ground uh, and she says, I don't know who you are, but you are never leaving this building. I can't wait until Evolve gets his hands on you. I don't say anything. Um, and as she says that, she draws both hands above her head uh, and she starts drawing in more of the one power. Uh, as she does it, you sort of get the feeling based off of how much she's taking in that uh, you might be on equal footing as far as level of power. And the threads that she's channeling together, you've not seen before. Uh, and they're taking on some sort of a weave that is completely foreign to you. Uh, and as you think that uh, this sphere of ice 
uh, appears around you and just sort of like goes from being an aura almost surrounding you to just compacting inwards. So go ahead and roll a deck save to see uh, if you like pirouette out of this or not. That is a natural 20. Get fuck yeah. the fuck out of here. You get up and you leave right now. <laughs> no, it really From the battle. Is. I want you to describe to me what you do when you're surrounded by this ice as it just sort of turns into these jagged edges and just sort of shoots towards you. Uh, in my actual character sheet, I have a spell called fly. So like I could have flown, like I can do that kind of as my um, like reaction instead of like, you know, an action. I like action. this. We're playing and a little bit fast and loose just, with 5e. Yeah. So I basically have just flown up into the air 60 feet to avoid this ice storm. All right. I should let you know the ceiling is about 15 feet above you. So that's probably about as high as you went. It's far enough where you avoid the ice storm, but you, I just don't want you to shoot through the roof of the building. No. <laughs> Everyone outside is like, holy shit, what just happened? So as you do that, you do have to pass through some of the ice uh, and you're going to take 12 cold damage uh, as oh you do that. God. And you hear below you uh, what sounds like this channeler swear. Uh, you're not sure exactly. It must be some sort of colloquial thing. Uh, she's like, pig water. Oh. Pig water. So uh, I'm going to use my reaction to do hellish rebuke. So basically, if, if she's within 60 feet of me. Which she is. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's going to be 2d10 fire damage uh, on a failed deck save. Okay, what level spell is that? Uh, just a level, uh, just the first level. Okay, since we're playing fast and loose with these rules, I'm going to go a little bit uh, red deck versus blue deck in Magic the Gathering. Um, because that is not a third level or higher spell, you see her weave very, very quickly, something you've never seen done before, and she disassembles your weave uh, as you're sort of putting together this hellish rebuke, and she has cast counter spell on your hellish rebuke. Jerk. She like looks that's, at you like that's what Elle says. <laughs> she's like kind of impressed, but she's like, yeah, I know some shit. What's up? She doesn't say that out loud. It's just like with a nod. So also put that in your pocket. If we're just gonna make shit up, it might come in handy later to say I learned this weave because most of the time in Wheel of Time, people see a weave after that they can do it. So mm, all right, okay. I like I like how that unfolded. That was your reaction. <laughs> that was your deck save. Now it's your action. So what are you doing now? Okay, so now she's already used her reaction. She can't counterspell again, correct? Correct. To metagame this a little bit, yes. Okay. Oh, by the way, hold on. I got to make sure I have my concentration still on my Witch Bolt, which I have advantage on because I have a feat where I'm a Warcaster, which I succeed on. Um, so I'm going to just Witch Bolt her again, essentially. Okay. Uh, so... I'm going to um, use a second level sub spell slot, so that's going to be 2d12 damage. Um, yeah. I don't like this lady. She's mean. Uh, 16 more lightning damage. She literally screams out loud uh, when this energy makes its way through the conduit, and it, it just hits her. It racks her body. You just sort of see her seize for a moment. She's able to regain herself, and she is still on her feet. She's smoldering a little bit, and she's breathing very heavily, but she is mm -hmm. still up, uh, and she's still moving. It moves on to Red. Uh, Red is in uh, locked combat with uh, the guard here. Um, he's going to do a barrage of attacks again. All right, let's do it. 16 for the first and 21 for the second. Again, one hits and one does miss. So he is parrying as best he can with a single sword against your two sword attack. Uh, that is max damage on that one hit at least. So that's 10. Damn. I'm going to action surge. Attack one more time. Ooh, same roll. 21. Hits. Damage eight. 
So the way this combat is unfolding between the two of you is uh, you've sort of gotten you sort of got yourself ready for this uh, counterattack, and when he charged you, he was able to land uh, this single blow as you had your first exchange. You landed a single blow, and as he was sort of setting himself to attack again, he realized that you are much faster than he is. So we're just going to take that and just put it into the fiction. Uh, and because you are faster, you're able to unleash three additional attacks before he is able to bring his blade around to even get ready to unleash another one. Uh, and after those three attacks come through, he is able to launch another attack against you. Mm -hmm. So... He swipes at you twice. Uh, and because of the damage you have inflicted on him, you can just see blood is starting to soak his guard outfit in multiple spots that you have struck. Uh, and it seems like he is slowing down. He's a little bit worse for wear. Uh, and you're able to just barely dodge his first attack, and the second one you're able to turn fairly easily. It seems like the strength is beginning to leave his body. This Chandler, who is now smoldering, it looks like she is just at the end of her rope. Uh, and... Let me think of a good one-liner for her to say. I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> she says, you know what? Sometimes the best tricks are the old tricks. And she raises her hand, and from it bursts forth several bolts of magical energy that dart towards you in a missile-like fashion. <laughs> Damn it. And she's casting this with her fifth level slot. She means. has a fifth level slot. We're pretty not evenly matched around here. <laughs> also, she has not a lot of HP, and you guys hit pretty hard. So I was like, they might just focus her down. She might get hit by I don't know, like twenty five points of her fucking HP to start. So yes, she does. All right, so that's gonna be one bolt for each level above one. So seven. Excellent. <laughs> And they just hit because it's what they do because they're magic missiles. Mm -hmm. Was there a dispel option here? Or is that like not a thing that she can do right now? I cannot do that, uh, especially not for a level five. You have to like roll for it and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can counterspell level threes and below. Above it, you have to do like a roll and it has to be added up to like whatever it is above plus the DC. So it's probably going to be like a 21 here. <clears throat> As this is happening, I, I want to just point out that seven bolts of light uh, or energy or, or magic, whatever you want to call them in this uh, fiction here, are probably going to cause quite a brightness in the room, and Red is definitely going to be distracted and probably glance over in that general area as this is happening. Yeah, this is like, it's almost as if she's gathering all of the energy as she channels the power into her palm, and then they just sort of burst forth all at once. They take different paths to get to you, and they all coalesce. Uh, on you for 22 damage. Oh, I'm out. You're out? Minus one. Ooh. I was at 21. As we all know, you're not dead. You're simply unconscious. That would be devastating to my plot. You are, however, 15 feet in the air. <laughs> so you will now be falling to the ground. Somehow, through the grace of your fall, as you're sort of losing consciousness and the fact that you were flying, uh, you're able to sort of uh, slow your descent and you only actually take two points of damage when you collide with the floor. All right. It was going to be your turn. You are now snoozing, so we're going to have you make a death saving throw. So go ahead and roll a d20. Three. Strike one. <laughs> uh, Red, you are up. I'm going to disengage and uh, as my action, disengage and uh, run over to L, crouch down into a defensive position right in front of her, putting myself in between the channeler and... Uh, my action is going to be kind of like, hey, kid, you okay? Are you here? Get your bell rung or are you down? She's out. When you say that and you get close enough, you're just close enough to notice three little birdies circling her head. 
<laughs> okay, that's my action was to disengage. The guardsman uh, says, so cute. Uh, and then he charges you full bore, and he's going to come at you with both attacks off this longsword yet again. Sure. <laughs> wow. So the first attack, uh, he brings down, and you're able to get your sort of just in time, but it still sort of catches you in your shoulder, uh, and it just sort of slices through some of your armor. You can feel some of your blood starting to drip down your chest, and that's going to be nine damage. Okay. He feels as if he has this advantage, and you can definitely see the smug look of, of an arrogant swordsman uh, just thinking this battle is about to be done. Um, and he draws his blade over his head as if he's going to be delivering a death knell. You have a lot more in you than this motherfucker is giving you credit for. And because of his arrogance, we'll say that that's how I'm interpreting his fucking botch as he lifts the sword up over his head, kind of forgetting that he has a skilled swordsman in front of him. You get an attack of opportunity on this dude. Fuck yeah. Roll an 18. That hits. A total of four damage. Uh, so as he draws this up and you just see this sort of arrogant look on his face, uh, you are just able to bring your sword up and in a blow that normally would not have dealt a lot of damage, as he's trying to deliver this death knell, he just sort of runs himself through on your blade. He still doesn't understand how he's younger than you, but you are much, much faster than him. Uh, the only thing you have to contend with now is the fact that this person's weight is now on your sword as it erupts through his back. Uh, okay, cool. Well, uh, so he starts leaning forward on my sword. I drop the one that's currently inside him to, and like let him fall against Tell me. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> I okay, hold on, perv. Uh, so I will let his like body lay into mine, so I can kind of like look past him. And as that's happening, I'm switching over to one-handed fighting, equip my shield instead. All right, I love it. But yeah, like this, <laughs> this is the go to sleep now. As he like his eyes just lost their light, and he's I'm using him as a human shield, while <laughs> underneath him I'm equipping a real shield. He goes, oh, drag. And those are his last words. So as you are sitting there awaiting for what's about to come, uh, she says in just this very disdainful voice, men are only good for one thing. And it's not what you're thinking. It's dying. But you seem to be a little bit more capable than he was. I think I can find a place for you. And as you hear that, cold chills run up your body as not only do you sense a female channeler is wielding the one power, but you sense that that power is now touching you and you are going to need to roll a wisdom saving throw. Mm. Which you will have advantage on because you are currently in combat with her. Mm. Mm. She's like, what are the noises you're making? Mm. <laughs> Stop that at once. Rolled a 19, so plus one is 20. So she says, stop that at once from all the noises you are making. Mm. And as she says that, she expects compliance. And because this is one thing I've never been able to get a solid answer out of a DM for, and they always just home rule it, there has never been a clear explanation to me about whether or not a magic user knows if Charm Person, uh, Suggestion, or any of the spells that are similar to that succeed until they try and use it. So as she says, Stop saying that. It becomes your turn. You are completely free to do whatever you want. She is 15 feet from you. Uh, so yeah, this guard, I shove forward off of me in her direction and as they uh, crumple forward I just explode over the top with them and 
Um, I can move at least 15 feet, so I'm going to kind of, like, jump one-handed attack at her and just see what that does. All right. Roll it. Uh, yeah, she had a uh, great AC with that bed sheet she's wearing, right? So, <laughs> yes. Does an 18 hit? It does indeed. <laughs> All of a sudden, her dress becomes plate mail. <laughs> <laughs> For five damage. All right, so you bring the sword down. It catches her directly across her chest. It definitely makes what was previously a tasteful turtleneck uh, into a deep V. Uh, and you see blood start to pour out. Uh, she doesn't seem like she is uh, disemboweled, and she is just scornfully looking at you. Uh, as she sort of loses consciousness and just crumples forward. Uh, Her body is laying there. Uh, She definitely looks worse for wear. There's no blood pooling around her or anything like that. And you can see her breaths are ragged, but they are still coming and she is out. You stand in this hallway, the only conscious and or living person. I immediately bring the shield down on top of her chest and like pin her for a second and wait to see if she has any other extra moments or like... If she, if her consciousness actually like flickers open or anything like that, I know you just told me that she's down, but Red doesn't know that she's down, so he's like totally not taking fair. any fucking chances. As he's standing, I thought you were gonna take your shield and, and just take her head bash off. her head off. I, I thought was like, so too. Oh my god! As you're holding the shield there to make sure she is out, um, you're staring at her eyes, waiting for them to flutter, and you start to see three birds circling her head, <laughs> and you know fairly confidently that she is unconscious. Uh, I leave the shield there because it's a little extra weight on her. Uh, and I, I get over to L and kind of uh, count the birds above her head right now. Uh, there's only two left. So, <laughs> shit. Um, cool. I, uh, uh, what do we need to do? Do you do, you do like, uh, you do a medicine like a check medicine to check? stabilize? You can stabilize her with a medicine check. Uh, if you have a healing potion, you can use that on her. Uh-uh. Or, red, Mm-mm. if you wanna. You can try and wield some of that power you seem to reject so thoroughly Mm-mm. in this moment where it's like, she might die. Mm-mm. Don't you force my hand into that. I'm going to do a billion medicine <laughs> checks. Where are my fucking action things at? Er, if you uh, botch the medicine check, typically I take off two successful <laughs> checks. So, 16. All right. With 16, uh, you were able to just sort of uh, take in, you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> I'm doing this. <laughs> Uh, as you sort of get down, you're sort of banging her together as the uh, grizzled veteran you are. Uh, as you're doing this, you cannot help it. It is your instinct, uh, and it is uh, probably just sort of these feelings of protection for this uh, girl that you are trying to pretend you don't really care about that much coming through, and you delve for the first time in probably a decade. Uh, and you can tell she's alive. She's going to be okay, and based off of what you're doing, uh, you think that she's actually going to come to, and as you have that feeling, and as you, as you have that thought, you see her eyes flutter open. I grit my teeth as hard as I can against the fucking power <laughs> that I just <laughs> trickled through my body. Uh, I think as she comes to, she's going to say... She has two shadows. Fuck yes. And just like kind of murmur that. I choke Elle under out my to breath. death. <laughs> <laughs> I, I snap her neck. 
She's a witch! <laughs> Who says something like that? <laughs> he brings uh, his shield down, but this time... <laughs> this time, really, to just behead her. But yeah, she as you see her kind of, like, fluttering her eyes open, she's just, like, muttering to herself, and I think the only words you catch is she has two shadows. Kid, I don't know what you're talking about, but we have got to go. And I uh, kind of do a two-handed hoist of her so she's in a standing position at this point. Uh, she's now fully awake and just says, I'm awake. Did I kill her? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I think, like, you know, she kind of, like, takes a quick look around. Did you kill her? She's not dead. But we gotta go. I agree. <laughs> um, I think, actually, Red would stay and want to not... He doesn't want to leave somebody bleeding out, let's put it that way. Or he wouldn't leave somebody bleeding out. Do you want to try and roll a medicine check on her? Oh, hang on. You look, she only has two birds around her head, too. Uh. Oh, there goes one. L, are you good? Are you are you here now? I I am here. You, she looks horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got to fix that really quick. I don't want to leave this. And I, I point to the channeler. I mean, healing was not really one of those things that I was good at. Me neither. And I go over and I roll a medicine <laughs> check. <laughs> um, I didn't really pay attention during the, the medicine healing classes. 13. Uh, so you go over there. You don't delve this person. You're not as concerned about their well-being. This is more self-preservation. You know less of a blood trail left behind means they're less likely to come after you. Uh, And as you're sort of bandaging her together, uh, you do sort of notice the telltale signs of her ragged breath sort of uh, receding. The bleeding is starting to not just sort of pour down out of the cuts. Uh, It started to gather on the bandages, and it sort of seems to be clotting. But she Uh, is stabilized. Talk it out, though. Talk it out. Now that you're ready, can we go? She tried to kill me. Uh, Red is leaving the shield on her. He collects his sword out of the guard that was on the ground. Does the classic wipe off the blood of the blade on the guy's jacket. Uh, he threads his arm through the shield that's laying on the on the channeler. And you can see Elle like tapping her foot like she's the one that's impatient now. Yeah. I'm ready to go when you are. And I'm just leaving it there in case like, you know, I'm not I'm taking that off the second that we're like, nope, we're out of here. Let's go. And I try and cast that, uh, basically trying to, like, cut off the power. Ah, right. Uh, So you weave together the threads that you saw her use uh, when you started the fight, which was to sever you from the source. Uh, Go ahead and roll a d20 and, again, add your spell attack. Not as bad. Not as good. 15. All right. Actually, with a 15, uh, you sort of put this together, and as it slides in place with zero resistance because she's unconscious, uh, you realize that with the way that you were reaving this thread the same way she did, uh, you do not have to stay there and maintain concentration. Uh, She will be like this until someone else is able to dismiss this or until she is somehow able to burst through the shield if she becomes powerful enough or simply until it wears off, and that's really dependent on how strong the thread was. And with a 15, that's pretty damn strong, so... Uh, she will likely not be able to touch the source for a good deal of time without assistance. Uh, all right. I'm ready. Uh, Red. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> did Red, Red doesn't know that that happened, right? Uh, you would feel like the cold chills on your arms. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't know what she did, though, at all. Okay. He looks at the channeler one more time to make sure that they're not stirring, and then heaves up the shield, and then in a very fluid motion, he, with one arm shoves L towards the door and he's making a very 
quick brisk walk while he's like putting his gear together. This is this is like exit detail go right now. As you make your way towards the stairs, you sort of glance through the door uh, that these two came out of, uh, and above it says S-1. You know that there's three rooms around Aval's chambers that say S-1, 2, and 3. S-1 is what they came out of, and since the door is still open, uh, you see this sort of platform that you've never really seen before, but uh, the both of you can sense that this platform has used very recently the one power. Uh, And as something that Chandler's just sort of able to do in this age and the ages to come and the ages that have passed, uh, unless deliberately picked apart, as happens sometimes, spoiler alert, wink, wink, uh, if a portal is used and it is not properly disassembled, uh, you are actually able to sense that there was a portal there, and if you are proficient enough, you can see where it came from and reopen it. Uh, that is neither here nor there, but you can definitely tell that that machine essentially was used to teleport these people here. Uh, so you just sort of have that knowledge as you're walking away, and now you know basically how they got here. You do not know where the F they came from, though. Very cool. Campaign Age of Legends Downfall is played by Faye Kai, Garrett Schultz, and DM'd by Adam Diaz. For more information about us, Twatsatwats, or other awesome work we do that is unrelated to the Wheel of Time, head to the Wheel of Time Show about the Wheel of Time Show.com for bios and our social media handles. The ancient Romans used to drop a piece of toast on their wine for good health, hence why when we raise a glass, we raise a toast. 